All right, we are live. Welcome to the Real Conversations podcast. I am your host, Kelly Scar, and today, my friends, we've got a special guest. Kevin Kaufman is joining us live and in person from, is it Scottsdale, Arizona? So I'm technically sitting in Tempe because that's where my office is. I live in Scottsdale, but I always tell people I'm from Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> so Kevin Kaufman from Phoenix and uh, we've got a, a, a bit of an alteration to the podcast. Um, if you watched or listened to the last podcast, the last episode that we had, I had uh, Robin Shidlowski, who is a local agent here in the Calgary market. Um, Robin and I just got along really, really well. I think the podcast went really, really well. It was a very easy flowing type conversation. And uh, I decided to have Robin back and have him as part of the podcast. So Welcome, Robin. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for uh, having me, Kelly. I'm uh, super excited to uh, chat with Kevin and find out some more stuff from uh, down south at the border. So yeah, really excited. Thanks again. Awesome. All right. As always, I'm going to jump into the bio and then we are going to jump into the conversation. All right. Bio as is Kevin Kaufman is a real estate agent, investor, entrepreneur, and educator. In 2008, he became the co-founder of one of the, one of the successful teams, the group 4610 network. We're going to get into that in just a second. Kevin has a heart for helping real estate agents grow their business. He is the host of, a, of an award-winning podcast, the co-founder of one of the largest online uh, masterminds in real estate, the Facebook group, Next Level Agents. Group 4610 has been named one of Realtrend's top 1,000 agents in the USA a number of times, and they've continued to grow and adapt with the market. Before expanding his real estate, real estate sales team, Group 4610, Kevin and a partner purchased a struggling real estate brokerage in Tempe, Arizona, on the brink of shutting down. Within two years, the brokerage had grown to be one of the most successful brokerages in the Phoenix area. And in 2016, Kevin sold his interest in the brokerage so he could focus on the continuing expansion of the Group 4610 network, Next Level Agents, and their growing podcast. Welcome, my friend. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm stoked to be here. That was a handful, man. Dude, God, I'm exhausted already <laughs> hearing about myself. Can we talk about you guys or like our feelings or something? I'm uh -oh. exhausted. Dude, seriously. Okay, so explain to us what 40, what is 4610? All right, so, so I'm going to give you the short story and then I'll give you a little bit of the long story, but I'm not definitely not going to go all the way into it. So short story is there's a book by uh, Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of them is begin with the end in mind. When Fred and I started our business, we were pretty much predominantly short sales, which, uh, which in the U.S. was a huge thing when I got into real estate, right? Uh, in fact, it was like our whole market besides like foreclosures. And you really had to be very calculated as to what was going to happen six to nine months down the road when a transaction would actually close. And so that stuck out to us. So, so 4610 is part of the longer stories. It's from uh, Isaiah 4610 in the Old Testament. A friend of ours had kind of put that to um, put that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I believe all of those, or, or maybe it was actually the organization um, that, that published that book had done that. And um, Stephen Covey uh, organization around that just always stuck out to us. Like think with the end of mind, begin with the end of mind. So when Fred and I, true story, we had a bunch of listings and we started working together, all short sales and um, you know, our phones were ringing off the hook, dude. Like it was in 2008 in the Phoenix area was nutso. And I remember I looked over at Fred, this is probably about a month into us working together. We're not even business partners. We're like just sitting back to back in the same room at this point and kind of trying to work together. I said, dude, we need some for some more for sale signs. Like we're taking a lot of listings. I don't want my name and phone number on it. Would you like yours? 
And he said, no. I said, well, then we're going to have to think of a name. So I came, I went home that night. I thought of like two or three options, but I said group 4610 first. Cause that one had both stuck out to us quite a bit uh, that we had heard. And uh, it was like, as soon as I said it myself and Fred and another gentleman, a uh, good friend of ours, Mark Collard, who's had a big influence on our life. Um, we just all three went, that's it. That's the one. Right. So what is it? Think with the end in mind. Yeah. Begin with the end in mind or think with the end in mind. And it's right. from Isaiah 4610. So it's funny because it starts a lot of interesting conversations. Um, yeah. Some kind of creepy, some like with people telling me to F off and stuff like that, you know, cause people, a lot of people, they go, Oh, that's a Bible verse. So they assume you're going to whack him over the head with the Bible or they assume. And so like they, that's all that they want to talk about, or they assume you're going to whack him over the head with the Bible. And they're like totally repelled by that. And they're like, screw you. I don't want to have a prayer. I've literally had emails from like prospects. Like I'm looking for a realtor, not a prayer meeting or something. I'm like, dude, it probably didn't only, help that you were with Keller Williams at the time either. Yeah, man. Like, uh, like we <laughs> yeah. go on that. Yeah. For Highly sure. regarding Christian organization. Right. right. Like, you know, and, uh, you know, then you got 4610. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It. Crazy man. So, uh, so you and your business partner, Fred, so th- this is basically how you guys got started. You carrying a bunch of listings together and, and, uh, decided to work together. Um, what was the, so aside from the name, what was the, what was the idea around the team? Like you say in your bio that you're passionate about helping real estate agents. Like, did that start with the, the group 4610? Is, is that like one of the founding principles or was it more or less, you know, you guys got together because you couldn't handle the volume and you needed to bring people on? Like what, what was the philosophy going forward? Well, like, let me make sure I paint the picture. Like we got together because we were both broke and fighting and trying to make it happen. Okay. So like, like it wasn't like, oh, we had so much business, man. We're just like swimming in money. Like, no, dude, our backs were against the wall. So this was like, um, very beginning. It was January of of 08. We were having lunch myself and Fred and the gentleman, Mark, and we had, we'd both done some short sales. I actually, my first, my, my third transaction ever was my first short sale. And it was actually Fred's listing, but he'd gotten married. So Fred and my wife have been friends since second grade, right? They've got a group of friends. They all grew up together in the same neighborhood. They're all still friends. Fred. So that's how Fred and I met. And, um, so Fred had just, him and his wife got married, uh, just a few months before my wife and I did. And he's, you know, he was, he was, he was already in real estate for a couple of years when I got in. And um, I was just around him a lot at that time, learning about real estate, creative real estate and stuff like that. And um, he had taken these short sale listings and he literally, I was joked that he tricked me into helping him because he was like, I don't even know how we're going to get paid. Like I just have some friends, they own houses, they need to sell them, but they're not worth how much they owe on the mortgage. Do you want to help me? And I'm like, yeah, I got a license. I'll help. Like I might not ever get paid for it, but I'll help. And so, you know, that was me like total naivety. Uh, so fast forward a few months, we've both done a few short sales now. It's pretty much all that we're doing. Um, and it's, you know, I'm still in my first six months of having a license and we're at lunch we, at the time for just context, we are both utilizing his, his brother actually as an assistant for lack of a better word. His brother had a license, really wasn't a salesperson really great at details, really handy. Could basically, he's like the guy that can do everything. Like he knows a little bit of everything. And so we were back actually both paying his brother like hourly to help us totally separate, running our businesses separate. So we're at lunch in January and we just get the idea. Like, what if we just sat in the same room and we argued with the banks together 
and we just helped each other. And like, we could figure out a way, like maybe I could pay you a little bit on my deals. You could pay me a little bit on your deals. We'll just split the rent and we'll split the cost of having your brother on staff full time. So we have total support. And I like, I want to be really clear. Like we told his brother, we would try to pay him within the first month, but there was no promise. Like we are like, we promise to pay you and we'll try to get it done in the first month. But I can't guarantee that because we don't know how much money, like, dude, it was hard. We were both broke. We were both just drowning in debt, trying to make it work. But what happened um, is we started after the first couple of short sales uh, that we got done, like we just kept hearing from other agents, like, oh my gosh, how did you do that? Like I've, I've written an offer on, you know, fill in the blank, 10, 20, 50 short, they never get approved. How did you do that? And so we're like, what if we just taught a class? And so we started teaching. And so we taught a class one day, we'll never forget. It was the first week of March, 2008. So like, we're a month into this, right? Like we're experts already. Right? Yeah. I haven't had a license a year. <laughs> and I, and this is, this really is like this, you, you probably know this about Fred and I, if you spend time around us, you realize this really fits. Like we named the class March Madness, Dick Vitale's guide to short sales. And then and it was crazy. And like three people showed up. One of them was his brother who we paid to be there. Um, and, but what was funny is we just kept doing that. Like people, we started getting calls from around town and other agents and like title officers, like, can you help my agents and stuff like that. And so we ended up, that whole thing turned into like us teaching twice a month, totally for free, where there was one or two people there at the first couple of weeks too. By the time we were done, there was like hundred people, anywhere from 50 to a hundred people packed into a training room in a brokerage somewhere in the Phoenix area that we would go teach. And so I think that was the thing was like, I don't know, man, we just both got a lot from it. Like it built our, it was a competitive advantage for us. I mean, it built our business. People explain like, that. I don't, well, explain that. Cause so, you know, my, my old pappy would say, you know, you're out there training your competition, right? So, so, you know, explain that competitive advantage. I'm interested in that. So I, there's no doubt we train some of our competition, but here's what I know. I know if I have a hundred people in the room and they're my competitors, two or three of them might they might implement what I teach them that day. Dude, is that something like I, I've been saying that for freaking years, man. Is, is, that, is that something that, did I hear that somewhere? Did you hear it somewhere? Like, I don't know. Did we just pick it up? It did, like, are we on the same, like, were you stealing my thoughts? Because I'm telling you, I've been using that, that same exact scenario phrase for a decade. Well, it's because you've, you've been on a stage for a decade, right? Like, say, right. and same, like, when you real, once you get in front of enough people and you realize, oh, Okay. But here's, but here's what we got from it. Like we gave and gave with no expectation. And this is that Gary V thing. This is probably why, um, this is probably why it made so much sense for me when I first heard Gary V. Right. But we just gave and gave and we just figured something good would happen. And it did like people referred us to short sales. They didn't want to do. And we just became the experts. And then, you know, over time, like the amount of referrals trickle down, but again, I'd like enter Gary V in his first book, Crush It. So we stopped, dude, we instantly for, we go over almost two years. So March of 08 through December of 09, because we read Crush It in November of 09. We just halted the brakes on live classes. We stopped. We said, we're not teaching anymore. We're not coming to your office, but we're gonna do a video blog. And in, on March, or excuse me, in November of 09, was when we actually had already started recording and posting video blogs. And at the time we called it short sale power hour. It was five days a week of free content 
designed for realtors to help them close more deals. And then that led to paid speaking gigs and we can, we can go all into that. But here's the deal, competitive advantage. The reason I say that is because people just gave to us. To this day, man, I have relationships today with some of the most influential people in this industry because of what we did 10 and 12 years ago to just give fully with no expectation of, of somebody giving anything back to me. Right. Robin, have you read Crush It? Uh, no, I haven't. But like really picking up, like you can really learn a lot from helping other people through their problems and just going through that over and over and over again. And I think that's how you hone your skill in this industry is doing that. So like kudos for that, like doing the stuff that nobody else wants to do. Some of my best sales and referrals have come from taking the sale that nobody else wanted and just putting all my uh, effort into it. So congratulations on that. Well done, Kevin. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. And that dude, that is so true doing some. So we did that, right? That was short sales. Dude, nobody wanted to do short sales in Phoenix. That's why they referred them to us. And we're like, we'll do them. I know it's hard. And I know the industry average is like, you know, basically seven out of 10 fail. And then and the, and the seller ultimately goes through foreclosure because the realtor just didn't know what they were doing. Like they didn't know how to overcome it. Like it was, this was a, mi- it was a mindset thing, right? Short sales were not hard. They were hard work. They were very simple. It's a math, cause it's a math problem. And I know you guys um, don't deal with it because the way lending is done there versus here. But um, here it, it was so what I would call outside of the box and in what we used to call um, the outback, we like this is this whole training. It's probably got one on, on YouTube somewhere from the early days of what we call the outback in the box. It was so much outside the box that in the outback that most realtors, like actually me having only been licensed for less than a year, competitive advantage. Because I just didn't have any preconceived notions around the way it had to look. I just did what I had to do to get it done. And short sales are easy because it's literally just a math problem. Does the bank think they're going to, save more money by doing a short sale or do they think they'll save more by taking it back and then reselling it? It's, it's, it's that simple. None of the other things matter. Right. Got it. So, so fast forward then, like, so you guys are concentrating on, on, um, on short sales. You're, you're getting all of these referrals from agents in, in your city, in your surrounding area. Uh, you know, you're, you're starting to do video blogs, paid speaking gigs or speaking gigs. Anyways, I know there's some, industry outlets that don't like to pay. So <laughs> they don't even like to fly you there. They might give you a hotel room, but that, that'd be about it. Right. Um, yeah. so, so it, it, it kind of maybe go into a little bit more detail as to, you know, what happened from there, the, the growth of the team. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, obviously you were with uh, KW for a long time, 12 years, I think was, was, uh, the time span before you guys wound up leaving here a few years back, but you know, you wound up in, in Gary Keller's inner circle as well, like the, that inner 100, right? So maybe talk about that, that kind of the rise in, in, of the of group 4610 and like how you got there and how you were able to, uh, not just grow the brand and grow the team, but ultimately, how, you know, the, the equitable as again, my old pappy would say, right. The equitable division of labor, how that kind of um, got laid out between you and Fred. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I found when I was running a team is that as a team leader, you're, you're the team leader, you're the coach, you're the mentor, you're the accountant, you're the marketer, you're the advertiser, right. You're the salesperson, you're the recruiter, yeah. you're freaking everything, dude. So how did, how did that growth and how did that, uh, that mindset kind of evolve going from solo agent in 2008 
working on short sales to all of a sudden, you know, that over, like Gary V says that overnight success being within the, uh, the GK KW inner 100. So part of it, I think goes to fast forward to June of 08. We do up again, we're getting calls from all over the city and we get invited into this mastermind. Um, like dear, so many, so many people I met that day. Uh, and it was the top realtors, like in Phoenix, like Russell Shaw, Curtis Johnson, um, Tim Q like there, there's like these guys, like they're just monsters of real estate in Phoenix and happen. And if you ever read millionaire real estate agents, so many people from that book were in that room that day. And, um, we just walked in there and gave taught them what we were doing, taught them what they really didn't know about short sales. And it just started opening up doors for us. And quite literally, probably a couple of them emailed Gary Keller was like, you got some guys here in Phoenix you need to, you, you got to put them on your radar. So, I mean, it wasn't, but a couple months later, uh, March of 09, first time we were invited into his like private room, uh, for a mastermind. And we just never left until we left because, right. um, we're number one, we were producing a lot, right? So our first year in 08, we sold 60 homes, um, which wasn't a ton, but in Phoenix, anybody doing 60 units was a lot then, um, in our, and then, you know, the next year was 120. Next year after that was like 140, 150. Um, and at this point, like we've got a name around the country because we're doing the video blogs, we're teaching, we're on stage a lot at the Keller Williams events. Um, you know, we're in every mass, like we just, we got in. And for a long time, we were the only, and we'd, we'd get into these other rooms with like these other, what they call distressed property experts, right? So like uh, mostly people that sold foreclosures for banks which is a totally different game. It's not short. Right. Like they couldn't be more different than short sales. And we would be the only people that like had the, had the volume, had the units to actually belong in those rooms. So we would be the only people in the room who truthfully knew what the hell they were talking about when it came to short sales. And so because we were, we were the, the, uh, the subject expert, subject matter expert in any room we ever walked into about short sales with, with, really no exception that we had a few peers in the industry. And I say this with no ego. There's just like, when you talk to someone else, who knows short sales, who like really knows, like, you know, it right away. I always said you could smell it on them because of their language, the, the, the stories that they have, you know, you know, up here when it comes to short sales, cause it's that different. And so that allowed us to just open up all these doors and build our business. And, you know, we're both students, man. We just started learning and, and we went great. So our listings are short sales, but we're, this is a real estate business. So let's, let's, let's turn this into a business. And we just did everything we could. And I think we just, I think that that was recognized that we were learners and we had the production to, to, to be included in the, in those rooms, right. To be in the wall street journal, like or real trends, top 1000 or whatever they call it into continuously being Gary's mastermind. And I think what we got lucky with is that we had a coach who, early on, uh, and he's still our coach. Like we started coaching with him in hmm, December of 2010. So think about that's that in the timeline, time, December wow. of 2000. And he's talking to us then about getting out of short sales, almost instantly talking to us about at least us, like with our manual labor, you know, with what we do day in, day out, getting out of short sales and just riding us on it. And so we shift, we, when the industry did shift now, don't get me wrong. This was not Rose, this was not all roses and we can go into this part if you want as well. But like we got distracted, 
we, but we were able to shift. So like 2012, we sold 219 homes. The crazy part is neither Fred or I was in Phoenix for half the year because we had very mistakenly taken a job as, as a regional director and, and uh, regional, you know, area director for Keller Williams for one of their regions. Um, not, that's not a shot at Keller Williams. It's a shot at us for not realizing we should not have done that. Yeah. Right? Of work like, we're just, yeah. We're just not, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I think it was like no. the easiest job I've ever had. Uh, but it was also like. Diverted your attention away from what was making you money. Yeah. And it was brain yeah. damage, man. Like, I'm just, I'm not an employee. Like I'm never going to be able to, I'm like, I can't even put on shoes and long pants most days. Like, so like I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible employee. Um, and so I, we just, we got distracted. Right. Um, and then at the same time, like our market's changing. So we go to Colorado, we do our thing. We knew right away. We're like, man, we made a mistake. So we, we exited out of that as gracefully and as quickly as we could. And in under six months, we were back home and our business was changing because the market was changing, but we just sold 219 homes. I mean, I, I, like when I came back to, I didn't know what to do. I literally was like, I don't know what my job is right now. So I just started calling old leads. Like I literally didn't know what to do in my own job because we had, we had people to do everything. It was a, it was a, it was a machine at that point, but it was falling apart. There was a lot of cracks we didn't see. And mm. so things, you know, got hard the next couple of years, but like, hard meaning like people left because we made some leadership mistakes but you know we sold 2013 we sold 135 homes maybe 140 wow but the hard part of it was it was it was me and fred like yeah that was a drop that's a big drop man it's a big drop we made more money that year though because oh, bet, we yeah. were the ones doing it right, right. and it, you know we went from totally leveraged to 100 back in the business of like me fred and an assistant um and then you know we and we are now dealing with like I took you guys. I took a hundred, not a hundred. I took probably five hundred listings with headphones on because I'm literally doing them over the phone. Right. Like there's not even video conferencing at this point. Like that's not even yeah. really available. And or it was so it was either over the phone or they came to my office. I did not go to people's houses to take listings. And here I am at 2013, and now I got to compete for it. So I like I literally had to learn. I tell people that's the year I learned to be a realtor was 2013. I, See, I, I hear a lot of that, you know, teams grow, they, they, they grow so rapidly. Um, they get so big and they get out of control very, very quickly. And, um, you almost, like you said, you almost wind up losing money as a result of that, because you're looking at, not only are you looking at shiny pennies, but, uh, you know, the next best and brightest thing, that's going to be the, the magic pill or the magic bullet, but you're looking for personnel to fill the cracks where you probably didn't need those cracks to be filled. All you needed to do is tap into the personnel that you already had and have them fill the cracks, right? So it's, it's interesting to me. This is a, a perfect example of a case study where you grow really, really big. You do 220 sales in one year. You drop off by like 40% right? Almost 50%. And you actually make more money because you were wind up, you, you were able to cut back the fat, right? Yeah. A lot of people don't realize they, they don't believe me when I say some of the top teams in the country aren't making the money that you think that they're making. Oh, because their dude, overhead this, is ridiculously expensive. We see, well, it's, it's, it's one of the problems. It's a problem and it's an opportunity in our industry, but one of the problems in our industry is we, we highlight that top line number. We highlight how many units, how many, how much GCI, GCI how much volume. Yeah. And it's just like, 
that's not it, man. How much money did you make this month, this year? Net, like net, that's baby. the, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And I know, man, cause I've had the opportunity to, to sit in front of so many agents, whether in person or online a, on stage or in a conference room, thousands of agents. And I know so many people like everything looks good and like they have no money, none. Like they're literally going backwards every month and it's all for show. Yeah. And, um, I'm not judging them for that, but it's just what I, what the problem I, the problem I have is that's who as an industry we put on stage and then we don't give the audience the full story. And so they think I can do that. Right. Cool. I'm going to go do this advertising. I'm going to go do this thing. I'm going to do that thing. I'm going to, I'm going to have this and that for my team. And it's like, cool, you're going to go broke and you're going to totally screw it up by doing that. Some of these guys got to take their own freaking advice. That's just, that's it point blank, full stop, right? They got to take their advice that they're spewing from the stage and, and uh, you know, look at ways to become more profitable. You know, Robin and I actually talked about this and, and you know, a, a little while ago, we were talking about uh, how he was able to cut a lot of the fat out of his business and become way more profitable, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to uh, just dial it back and then get back to what, uh, what's really important. It's so interesting, Kevin, how you mentioned uh, like 2013, taking listings over the phone and how that can apply to uh, even today with COVID now uh, in this last year, I, I did three listings where I never even met with the, with the client in person. We did everything from a distance. So it's amazing how you have to adapt. And like the other thing was just like building up your armor, like when you guys were dealing with short sales, having not just to deal with the client and their emotions, but you're selling it to the bank as well at the same time. So you've got all these different pieces of the puzzle. And it's like, it, there's a, it's a challenge, right? So you have to address that. And I think that like that, would you say that that's part of the biggest reason that you were so successful with it is because no matter what, you were just willing to put in the work to get it done. Yeah. I, I think at the end of the day, like Fred and I both agreed early on, like we're like, we knew we had something and it, we were never walking away. Right. That like, that was never an option. Um, there was times when we felt like we wanted to, don't get me wrong. Um, but we were also like determined and we have, you know, we have common, a common vision. Like we share a vision around things and, um, do things get hard? I'll, I'll tell you one of the things that we were very fortunate. I mentioned a coach I had that I've had since December, 2010. He's a, he's a, he's a numbers guy. Like he's not even really a real estate. He's a real estate guy, but he's not like his, his entire corporate background is in, mostly in finance and banking and mortgage. Uh, so very closely related to real estate, but not, you know, it's not, he's never had a real estate license. Um, so he's a numbers guy. So he's held us accountable to a PL forever. Right. And having him as a coach has been such a blessing. And then the, the other thing um, is we got in the habit uh, for nine, five or six years ago. Now, gosh, I guess it's gonna be almost six years ago of every single week we do what we call a financial review and we review every penny that was spent the previous seven days. And we're not, neither one of us are like, we're not cheap, but we're just trying to make sure we hold our money accountable. We're inspecting what we expect. Um, and like, well, there's been times when the spending gets out of control. We can, we can reel it back. We're really good at reeling stuff back when we realize we made a mistake. Um, You're almost like husband and wife. Hey? Dude, it's, well, there's a lot of like, uh, it's, it's weird how well we work together. What yeah. some a friend of ours described us as like, you guys are kind of like in the same separate corners of the same brain because our behavior is very different. Um, 
people think it's, think it's similar and will often arrive at the same sort of conclusion or answers to things. We just take different paths and different viewpoints to get there. Man, I wish I would have been in business with you guys the last four and a half years. A <laughs> <laughs> couple of guys that actually know how to run a business and they're talk oh, about yeah. expenses and look at it every seven days. I mean, that, that's absolutely key to success. Like, you know, like I said before, you can get so wrapped up. It's so easy to go and just buy this course or buy this shiny thing or, oh God, I could use some of that. I'm going to just, you know, throw my credit card down on Amazon or whatever, right? Without really exploring what the consequences are. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that credit card still got to get paid. If you don't got any money coming in, you shouldn't be spending any money, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, man. I mean, it's, and it's all common sense stuff, right? Right. So, um, I'm, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, just about your, your speaking history and, and cause we've, we've touched on that just a little bit, um, you know, maybe rattle off some of the, just to appease your ego. And I say that tongue in cheek because you're like, it, I think you and I are very much, uh, very much the same. We're very similar. And, and some people might say, oh, Scar is, he's got an ego. I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but I, I honestly don't, man. I, I, I'm very, uh, like a, a self-deprecating type sense of humor. I think you're very much the same, yep. right? Uh, you know, we both love football, um, you know, but at the end of the day, we're just, I think, both very humble human beings and, and you know, look at this industry very much the same way. So to get, get a little bit of an ego stroke, just maybe rattle off some of the, you know, some of the uh, industry events that you've been a part of and, and do you still speak? Is this something that you're going to continue doing or, um, you know, training mentorship? Is that something that that's in the future or in the now? Yeah. So first of all, I just want to start the ego part of this uh, podcast by saying I'm more humble than you are. So uh, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I win, I win that. Um, no, but you know, we've done, you know, we've done so many speaking events over the years from, you know, Nate Keller Williams at first, like for early on, not even early on for actually the very first 11 years of my career, like that was our whole world. Um, so like the events that we went to or spoke at, they were all contained inside of that with, with, with very few exceptions of like local things that would be put on. Right. Um, but we would, you know, when we, when we started that blog, I told you about short cell power hour. One of the things we did, did is like, we put a little thing on it and said, come to my office. Like it was a button that people could fill out and effectively they could hire us to go speak and we'd teach them how to do short sales. And then it was like, we realized like, oh my gosh, number one, we we're making a lot of money for speaking. That was kind of nice. Um, number two is that we would always get a ton of referrals for that. So we're like, that's cool. So I think eventually it just kind of became part of our thing. Right. But we've spoken at, um, you know, different industry events. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm blanking on any names of them. Truthfully, none of them matter to me. What matters are the people that I connected with at those things. Sometimes they're like local or regional. Um, I, I mentioned, or, or I should say, you mentioned like when reading my 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 stupidly long bio that like we have a group called Next. It's level not Age the longest I've ever read, man. Um, it's not. Like I've I, I, I tried to pare that back a little bit. Um, yeah. But we we went we created this thing called Next Level Agents to basically create our own stage because what I don't like about the stages in our industry is that so like my experience 
okay. And this is, I'm speaking about my, my experience. I'm not speaking badly about Keller Williams, but like my experience at Keller Williams was, was when you're on the ends and when you're on the good list and not literally on the blacklist that they literally have, then you can speak on stage and you, and you can, you have to say nice things about maps and the, all the events and the stages are to sell their coaching. And that's fine. Cause it's their platform. I'm not, I'm not against that. Um, when I would go to events like say Inman connect, um, what I love about Inman Connect is the is the connection, and like it's actually the networking. Um, mm-hmm. a lo- w- with present company, company, present company excluded, the content was really lacking for tacticianers, like people that are mm-hmm. in the field, like the three of us, right? Who actually run a business that that really lacked. Most of it was most of it is from like too far area, like too far removed from the realtor. Yes. Um, yeah. When I would go to an event like an NAR, like it was, I wanted to literally poke a knife into the side of my head. It was terrible, right? It's like their content's bad. If I go to a Mike Ferry event, I know it's going to be to sell Mike Ferry coaching and there is nothing wrong with that, right? Um, all of that stuff is good. Or if I go to the Boomtown event, if I go to the Commissions Inc. event, it's all to sell back their product. And that's great. It's their mm-hmm. stage, it's their product, but it's with that slant. And so I created Next Level Agents um, with a couple friends Number one, because I wanted to own the stage and not have what company you're at matter, not have what coaching product you were going to say or what coach's name you were going to say from stage matter. And I wanted to give a stage to people that don't have the stage because they don't have the high numbers. They don't, they like, they might have good GCI, but it's not, you know, $4 million. They, you know, it's like, Maybe it's 750 and they take home 550 or something like that. That's an amazing business, right? Most team owners I know don't make half a million a year. Like, but they've got two, three, four, five, six million dollars in gross commission income onto their team, but they're not taking home hardly any. Um, and so I wanted to give a stage to different, and then that's really what led to the podcast too that that we started was I want to give a stage to different models to different people. I um Quite frankly, I have two. I have two daughters, and so making sure women have a stage and equal right is extremely important to me. Like it is, it is one of my higher priorities. And so, whenever possible, I want to highlight a, a strong female speaker, author, trainer, etc. I just don't give a rip what company they're with, right? right? I want them all to be with me, but from a stage standpoint, I don't because everyone's trying to sell us something as agents. And everybody wants to get in our pockets. And I freaking hate that. There's, it's okay to sell. There's nothing wrong with selling. But when everything you do is about getting someone to swipe their credit card for you, that's, not, that's just not how I roll. Yeah. And I, I think that, that's why NLA is so refreshing to me. Um, you know, I actually left the lab code agents group. I, I, I couldn't stand being sold to. And, and, you know, they just went and scraped the group and got everybody's email addresses. And now they spam the living shit out of you, right here, buy this here, buy that here. We've got an affiliate link here. We want you to buy this product or we got an affiliate link there. We want you to buy that product. It's like, fuck off. I, I, I don't want to, I, I honest at my podcast, I can swear if I want, right? Yeah, you can. <laughs> People I'm, that listen to my podcast know that I've got a potty mouth and I've actually kept it pretty clean for the last 33 minutes. So I should be proud of myself here, but 33 minutes before I drop an F-bomb, that's not too bad. Um, when I get on your podcast, Kevin, maybe I, I'll just, I'll try to dial it back and be, clean. don't you dare dial it back. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't fuck but around. Yeah, no, that. I There's agree with you, man. Back. You know, you know, I, they got so big and, and, 
I, I, I honestly, I, I just believe that uh, it was, that was probably their plan right from the very beginning, or they got to a point, maybe not from the beginning, you, you know, when they started with one, like zero agents in the group, but you know, once they get to a thousand and 2000 and 5,000 and 15,000 and 20,000, it's like, okay, so how can we monetize this thing? Yeah. Right? And dude, I, I get it. I, I really do. I understand where they're coming from, but what's, but the problem, my problem with it is it's not transparent. Right. Like it's, it's, you know, they don't you go know. and join the group and, and they don't tell you, Hey, we're going to, we're going to try to sell you this shit. We're going to spam you. And, and listen, if you want to, if you're the type of marketer that has a JV for everything you can have a JV for, Fill that's boots, cool. Man. It's just yeah. not my, it's not my gig. If you're the type of marketer that will pitch a product that you absolutely would never use, but you're going to stand on stage and say, you use it. That's not my gig. That's not my jam. And I don't want to be around you. If you're the type, like, and the, the other thing too, and this is, again, I want to be really clear. I am so thankful for what I learned from Keller Williams Realty and Gary Keller, um, specifically as, as my mentor for nine years. Mm. I, I'm so thankful for that. And what people don't realize is like, dude, the, those guys are paid by Keller. Like they are like, that's a Keller yep. Williams paid group yep. at this point. Like, and all of the industry, like I've had reps from Zillow tell me like, Hey, listen, I need to be able to get in these groups. In fact, the only way I can get to Keller Williams agents these days is through lab code agents. Yeah. They know that those guys will take the check. Um, but they're also well, fully I've, aware. I understand like, Zillow's paying them as well. Oh yeah. They know no, yeah. they are. I mean, yeah. they had a big deal with, uh, with realtor.com until, you know, apparently when you talk about, um, slapping people around and stuff like that, then, right. Uh, yeah. Well, that should for, happened a couple of years ago. In fact, that's when I left the group was, uh, when, when all of that stuff broke, but, uh, anyways, let's shift gears a little bit. I had a really interesting conversation with an agent here in Calgary. Him and I had coffee. It was like, I looked at the clock and it was like fucking two and a half hours later. I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy. Like just sit there and banter back and forth. Right. But we had, he asked me the question, he goes, you know, wh where, where do you see real estate in like 20 years? Like, do you, do you think that there's going to be the need for a real estate agent? And I think, I think for, for the most part, I think most people would answer that question without really giving it a whole lot of thought. Um, and they'll just answer yes, because there's a personal aspect to the transaction, right? I've got an answer for it. I want to hear what your answer is. 20 years from now, is there going to be a need? And we're so we're talking about a generation right? One generation removed from where we're at right now, 20 years from now, will there be a need for real estate agents? Can I, let's clarify this. Are we talking North America? Yeah. Okay. Um, unequivocally, yes. At what level is the question to be determined? At Why? what level do, do we stay relevant? Um, and what service do we, I mean, listen, their travel agents still exist. They're higher end. They're not, it's not what it was 20 years ago. Um, there is a need for it. There, there will be like, people like to say the personal, yeah, don't get me wrong. People like that, but you and I both know. So like, I don't, I don't know how many, um, so like in the U S we have realtors, right? That's a designation. And we have like licensed real estate salespeople. So there's a 2 million ish licensed real estate salespeople, 1.1, 1.2 real million realtors, uh, of those are realtors. Uh, and listen, that number is going to be what those numbers will be way, way lower because we both know. Uh, or I should say all three of us know, and everybody listening to this knows in their heart of hearts that um, most real estate salespeople do not take care of the people in their business the way that they should, both from the, like maybe people that work for, work for them, but also the people that they work for, right? Like their clients and things like that. So I want to be really clear. A lot of, lot of you listening to this are going to lose your business, right? It's going to go away to people that care. There's going to be a lot of people that care 
that will have a lot of business. So there's gonna be a lot fewer of us, but the reason, and I think that there will always be a personal touch and we have to adapt with technology, right? We mentioned the big, bad Z word a few minutes ago, Zillow, that everyone, I, like, I have no energy around Zillow. I actually enjoy what they're doing from a standpoint of they are forcing uh, people that sell real estate to up their game at the highest of high levels. And I enjoy that. The cheese mm -hmm. is moving. And if you want to be relevant, then fucking figure it out. Figure out how you bring value to a person to where they go. I know I could sell my home to this company or I could use this platform, but Kevin, I'm not, I don't, I need you to help me guide, guide me through this. And what is it going to look like then, man? I don't know. But my guess is we're going to be able to process a lot more transactions, a lot easier, a lot faster. And we're going to have to deal with a lot less BS of the, in the transactional part. And there's gonna be a lot fewer of us is what I believe. But yeah, we're not, I don't think realtors are going away. A lot Robin, of what's are. your, what's your thought around that? <laughs> was, uh, was that just an echo from our last podcast, Kelly? Like, it, seriously? It, it was, <laughs> it, it was, I, you know, I've given some thought to it actually since then. And I had this conversation with, uh, with an agent here in Calgary here just the other day. And, and he asked me the question and I, I came up with what I thought was a fairly intelligent answer, but I, I want to hear what you have to say. Like, uh, just give us your opinion. What do you think? 20 years, do we still exist? Uh, well, absolutely. And like, just like Kevin said, I think there will be a lot less of us. And I think the agents that can really step up their game and adapt to what's going on and be able to work around, you know, there's always going to be a percentage of that business that's going to say like, okay, I can list my own home and I don't have to pay. Like we have that right now in our marketplace. It's there. If somebody wants to go and take some pictures and list their property, they can, they have access to realtor.ca right now. Why isn't it working? Because they don't have a clue what they're doing. So I think Kevin's right when he says that there's going to be a lot less agents because they're going to be, you know, some of us that care that can really build our businesses and there are going to be others that aren't going to be able to figure it out. And that's just going to be the way that it is, I think. And that's, uh, I think that there'll always be a place for somebody selling, selling a home. There's going to be that personal connection. So I'm, I'm not too concerned. And, and like I said, last time you and I chatted, um, I've got a database. The only person that can be in charge of screwing that up is me not keeping in touch with my clients. That's literally right. what it boils down to. So in 20 years, I'll be 66. I, you know, that sucks to even say that. Dude, 66 is the new 36. Don't even yeah. worry about it. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> but no, but seriously. So the, the, the reason I, you know, 20, 25 years, arguably is a generation, right? Some people say 25 years is one generation. And so I think, honestly, I think we need to look at consumer behavior, consumer habits, right? Um, look at Amazon as an example in the time of COVID, you know, 2020, we're, we sit here right now. Um, you know, you look at Whole Foods, you look at uh, here in Canada, like Supersource, Safeway, Sobeys, some of these bigger outlets, they are, um, they have personal shoppers. Like you can go onto an app. Like we did this for my father-in-law up in Edmonton. Um, for those of you listening in, in North America, Edmonton's like three hours North of Calgary. So he lives up there. He's on his own. He's a widower. And, and uh, you know, he doesn't, he's 77 years old. We don't want him going out to the grocery store and, you know, he's, he's got, you know, multiple things that are wrong with him. And so he's susceptible to, to this disease that's out there, this virus that's out there. And so, you know, we went onto the Sobeys app and we ordered up. So we called him up. We said, what do you need? Uh, this is what I need. Great. We paid for the groceries. We had them delivered that day. Boom and done. He grabbed them from the front step, unloaded them into his, his pantry and his fridge. 
boom and done, right? So that's somebody that's 77 years old, somebody like me, I'm 46 years old. I'm, I'm have that ability to, you know, I'm, I'm not a Luddite. I under, I'm not a Luddite. I understand technology. I use it to my, to my advantage. I think if we look at like my kids right now, and I said this to this guy the other day, my kids are 12, um, you know, in probably 10 years, they'll be looking at purchasing their first home with any luck, right? Um, you know, it could be a condo, it could be a townhouse, whatever it is. Uh, you know, in 10 years time, what is, what are consumer behaviors going to be doing, um, at, at that moment? And, and think about this for a second, SpaceX, right? They just launched four astronauts into space and they, they, they landed the fricking vehicle back down on a platform in the middle of the fucking ocean. Unmanned. Nobody was driving the thing. Okay. Like this, this has happened. He started SpaceX in what? 2010, 2011. We're talking like, yeah, nine or 10 years. The, the technology has advanced to that level in nine or 10 years. It took from 1969 until 2011, right. And all these different iterations of rockets and space shuttles. And now, you know, these, these, uh, these rockets that he's got that can land by themselves that are manned from, you know, uh, Cape Canaveral, right. Somebody's got joysticks and it's like a fucking video game and they're landing this thing in the middle of the ocean, right. We're talking like that happened within the last 10 years. So look at the next 10 years, look at consumer spending, buying behavior, at the end of the day, we are all digital immigrants. We adopted this stuff. It, it, you know, Atari became uh, relevant in in the late seventies, early eighties. You know, um, ColecoVision uh, went to Nintendo, and then all of a sudden, PlayStation and Xbox. Like all of this stuff has expanded exponentially over the last over the last few years. We adopted to it. We either picked up the PlayStation or we didn't. When the first iPhone came out, I bought a 3GS, I believe it was. I waited a year for the for the iPhone 4 to come out and then I bought the 3G for two reasons. Number one, because I'm cheap. Number two, I wanted to make sure that the thing wasn't a total dud and total piece of shit, right? So, and I've always done that. I, in fact, my iPhone is a seven plus, but you know, I digress. My point is this, is that my kids are not digital immigrants. They are digital natives. They have grown up with this shit, right? My kids are 12 years old. They've got laptops. They've got iPods. They've got friends that have iPhones, right? At some point, they're going to be making purchases. My, my son, you know, he plays PlayStation and I'll get a ding on my, on my credit card statement. I'll get a text message from my credit card company saying, hey, this money has been spent on PlayStation. And I'm like, Nicholas, what are you doing buying this, this, that, and the other thing, right? So it's like, what, what are the consumer behaviors going to be like with these digital natives? Are they going to expect that same type of handholding? Are they going to need it? I guess is the big question, right? And even, even the kids that are being born today, fast forward 20 years from now, right? The kids that are being born today, 20 years from now, what is technology going to look like? What are the consumer spending and purchasing habits going to look like in 20 years time? I can tell you, man, I don't, I, I just don't know. I think the capacity that we, uh, Kevin, I think you nailed it on the head. I think the capacity that we exist in right now, 20 years from now, when I'm 66 years old and nicely retired in the Phoenix area with my friend, Kevin and Fred out golfing, you know, on a daily basis. I, I, I just, I think that there's going to be, it's going to be a different level of service that the consumer is going to come to expect based on certain technologies and the process and how it's going to exist. 
Does that make sense? I know it was a long drawn out story, but that's kind of my position on it these days is like, watch consumer behavior. Look at the kids that are being born today, because in 20 years time, those are the ones that are going to be buying, uh, buying homes. Right. And then look at how technology has evolved within the last 10 years. Look how it's going to evolve in the next 10 in the next 20. And I don't know, man, I guess, my point is at, at age 66, fuck, I'm going to be glad that I'm going to be retired. <laughs> Dude, I, I, so I look at this a couple different ways too. Um, I think that that, I think that we believe, so like the generation before, you know, that's young, that's younger than us. Um, I hate, I hate the word millennials because it usually comes with the connotation, but I think people believe the millennials, millennials were born in 1977. That's when they started being. No, born. no, no, no. That's Gen X. That's me. No, I'm Gen X, man. No, you're not. Yeah, I am. Oh, I guess you are. I'm on the cusp. I, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're right. But yeah. millennials, I think, are, are a little bit old. Like, they're younger. Like, they're, like, only still in their mid-30s, I want to say. Right, at, yes. At any rate, Agreed. so, like, everyone, like, labels millennials as, like, you know, they don't want to buy a Yeah, like, so, so f- there's a lot of things changing. That said, we're, you know, we're still talking about a lot of money, and we're still talking about legal contracts. Now, the whole other conversation is around, you can never have, you can't, you can't rely on like laws and how, and how big things are to protect your industry. Right. Like that's a different conversation um, that I think is a losing one that said um, there's still, a, I believe there's a lot more people that who we tend to think want things done a certain way because they're younger, that they don't really want it done a certain way. Like when you really, um, grasp them right or like when you really uh, not grasp them like grasp what they're feeling and what their real behavior is i think there's a piece of that that we don't understand that i think we think of because they'll buy stuff on like the playstation that we assume that's going to be the same for like a house and or a car or things like that and it may be one day but there's also like the legalities of all that like it's like you know dude uh, robin you mentioned like hey if you want to throw your own home on the mls like you can do it a couple hundred bucks take pictures what people don't realize though is like all of the legal things that happen in in the course of a uh, contract or in the course of a uh, of a transaction closing and all the things that have to happen, like there's some real liability there. When there's a reason why, like in the in the states, like we're licensed by the state, like you know the state that we operate in, there and in all fifty states have a different license. That you have to know the law. You're a lawyer in Arizona. You literally have legal power. It's not that way in every state in the U.S. Some states are attorney states that require attorneys to ratify contracts and whatnot. In Arizona, we have legal power. Our, we, you know, we are, we are the be all end all. The brokers are technically with our contracts. Um, so I think there's a lot of those that will like. Those are things that technology can't change, and like legislation will have to change. Um, and the fundamental way people view transferring a couple hundred thousand dollars will have to change too. And so there's that. All that to say, one of the things I'm most excited about, dude, when you go outside of North America, like there's not even an MLS, like there's no, like there's no MLS in all these other countries. Um, there is such an opportunity. And I'm not saying, Hey, I'm going to move to like, you know, London or, or I'm going to move to Australia or to India and start selling real estate in 20 years. I'm not saying that my business is though, for sure. There's no doubt that I want my business to go there to those places. And I, I believe 
even as we change in the in North America, the U.S. and Canada specifically, I think I think Mexico will be a little bit uh, slower on that from a technology standpoint, but they'll won't be too far behind North uh, behind the U.S. and Canada. I think what we're going to see is a lot of things starting to change in these other countries um, from an opportunity standpoint. And for, again, for the people that are hungry that want to go create something, there's a whole world out there. Like we've got to have, even us as realtors, which is a very hyper local business. We, in a lot of ways, we still have to have a worldview. At least I believe we do, unless you're just in it for the short run. Right. Yeah. Well said, man. Robin, anything to add to that? Oh, I mean, I agree. Like, a home is something so much like, it, you know, you can present it so many ways, but people are still going to want to, you know, be able to get into the space, see what it feels like. There's always going to be that, uh, you know, like I could go to uh, take Mountain Equipment Co-op, for example, here they were, uh, they wouldn't let you go in and try on the hiking shoes this summer. You literally couldn't. And so everybody stopped going to Mountain Equipment Co-op because it was such a pain and uh, Campers Village, they recorded record sales for three months in a row. They were over a million plus. And I like, I could hear the salesman saying that they can't understand why it's, they've had so much business, but it's because the other, like, you can't just know that you're going to get a pair of shoes and it's going to fit, you know, same thing with cars, right? Like I wouldn't just uh, say, okay, well, I, I, I'm going to like that. Um, I'm going to order it in this color, this size, and I'm just going to accept it when it shows up on my driveway. I want to go out and test drive them. So, I mean, there's a bit of uh, buying a home that's actually getting into the space and seeing what it, what it feels like. So, you know, that changing over the next 10 years, it's funny that you guys mentioned the, the generation thing too a little bit because you have to look at millennials and remember who they were raised by. Millennials were raised by Generation X. So there's a totally different uh, mindset there. And now you've got Generation Z that was raised by millennials and generation z is a totally different animal yeah. generation z is going to be the ones buying homes first-time home buyers in the next 20 years and That's it's right. funny how like generation z looks at their savings and looks at their retirement so much more they're so much more focused on that than millennials are for whatever reason it's partly to do with how they were raised so we have to be really uh careful about how deep we dive into uh you know, the generation thing, but I, like, I think in 20 years, we could be looking at something that could be as much as just a, an aesthetic way to purchase a home, or, you know, this is something that, uh, you know, it, we want that nostalgic feel. We don't, we're, we're okay. We can shop, we can narrow it down. But at the end of the day, before I drop a couple hundred thousand dollars or half a million dollars, like it is here, I really want to go and uh, be able to visualize what that's going to look like for me. And I see it with a lot of my younger buyers. So yeah, on that note, Kevin, why do why do why do teams exist? Like, what what why why are people like why do agents want to build teams? Most agents want to build teams because they think it's cool, like they're taught that's the thing to do. Um, the reason why you would do so, let, let me just say that probably accounts for f- more than fifty percent of the teams. Okay. When, when I really look at it now though, so like maybe the numbers are different, like all stats are made up anyways. So the, the stat I'm going to make up right now is like, so the other 50% like me, it's because I, well, I love the business or real, I love the business part of it much more than I love the um, transactional part of it. Right. I right. do love the relationship part of it. I love all that, but I also love the business decision piece of it. 
and actually having it be a business as opposed to a sales job uh, that I, that I actually go and do. And then I, here's the thing, neither to me, neither is wrong. It's about how well you serve people, uh, your, your consumers, et cetera. And I believe that um, people just want different businesses. They want, they want different experiences. I'm a, I always tell people, so I've coached a few people, but mostly consulted with a ton. And like I always say, like, you have to decide the relationship that you want to have with your business. What's the relationship you will have with your business? I made a clear line with that for me one day. I knew what I wanted it to be like for me and what I was willing to do and what I wasn't willing to do and could it work in real estate. I think the other piece of it with that is the traditional real estate brokerage and model. It's just broken, man. And so there's there's people like me who are business owned. Like I just don't want to go own a franchise. And I, I don't even want to own a brokerage, like, right. Like I'm at a brokerage now where I have ownership because it's publicly traded and I can earn that. And that's great. But dude, I'm not going to have the liability of a broker. I don't, I never want that. It, right. It's just not the business that I, that I want, but I want a business in real estate because I love real estate. And so I, I know for me, that's my answer. I, I presume that's the answer for some others. But I also think the, again, going back to why I created in LA, why I created a podcast has everything to do with highlighting the fact that there are different ways to do things and not one way. And I think most teams or at least a good percentage of teams are a team because they thought they had to do it. I, you know, I, I think you're a hundred percent bang on, but I think that the, uh, I think that your stats are off. <laughs> I think you're, you're might, you might be in the 10 or the 20% of, of, uh, of team leaders that actually think that way. Right. Um, I know when I, when I first started a team back at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, it was because I needed help. I needed to leverage other human beings to make more money. Right. And that was the whole idea. And that was the mentality that I had. I had this conversation with a couple of agents here, uh, about two weeks ago, and I just flat out told them, you're not ready. You are not ready to start a team. You've got a good partnership. And I would continue with that. I'd go and hire yourself an assistant. And when you get to a point where you feel like you need to hire a buyer's agent, where you run off your feet, that both of you are doing, you know, 40, 50 deals a year per, per agent, you know, you're probably at that point where you could bring on that buyer's agent. But right now, if you're each just doing 20, 20 deals a year, like number one, you're never going to be able to keep that buyer's agent fed and happy. Number two, you're still going to have to sell your face off in order to pay for what it is that you need to provide to the team, right? And so ultimately, I think it comes down to um, team leaders if they want to be successful. And I agree with you. I think I do think that the real estate uh, brokerage model is broken uh, at this point to, to a certain extent. And I, I'm glad that you brought that up because I did want to bring that up just to end off on the whole team mentality thing, um, you know, team leader mentality. If you don't have a, um, you know, that, that mindset of service, um, your, or, you know, the greatest chapter in, in any book that was ever written was in Crush It. And it was one page. And I believe it was chapter nine. And it was the chapter title was marketing. And you flip the page and it was one page. And there was one word in the middle of the page and it was care. And that's it. You know, I, it doesn't even have to be marketing. That's just business one oh fucking one, right? Just care, care about the business, care about the people, care about the people within your organization, care about the people that you're servicing. Who is the end user coming back to 4610, right? Begin with the end in mind, right? I, I love that. So, you know, circling back now to, 
you know, the, the real estate brokerage model uh, being broken. That was kind of the thought process that I had when I joined my previous company. Um, you know, I, I really felt that way. I, I felt like the brokerage model of today got away from um, doing what they're, what they were supposed to be doing, you know? Um, and, and as a result, you know, we've got this prevalence of, of coaching companies that have, that have popped up over the last 20, 25 years. Right. Um, it's because of the abdication of the broker and getting away abdication of the training by the broker of the real estate salespeople that are within their organization, right? That's how these, these coaching companies wound up becoming so popular and, and agents spending a thousand, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred dollars a month on, on hiring a real estate coach. It's because their broker isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They've abdicated their responsibilities. So I think that's part of it. The other part of it is like, where's the value? Right. Where is the value from the real estate brokerage? If I'm if I'm an agent, I'm looking at making a move. Like, how is the brokerage going to service me? What is it that I need out of a brokerage? Is it a place just to hang my license because I've got my business set up in such a way that I don't need any any help? I don't need any coaching. Like I'm good to go. Great. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, go and hang your license at at a place that's 99 bucks a month, right? And 99 bucks a, a deal fee or whatever. But you know, ultimately I, I think. I think the brokerages of the future, if they really want to survive in what's going to be happening in the next 5, 10, 15 years, they really need to understand that the agent of the future is going to need help and support and training and whatever branding and marketing and mentorship and, and, and like whatever, just name it. You know, I think most agents out there today need some of that. And that was kind of the mentality that we had with my previous company. So we tried to provide a lot of that stuff. What are your thoughts? You know, you mentioned the real estate brokerage model is broken. Why do you think it's broken? I think it's broken because it's, 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 it just hasn't changed with the times, right? Um, even just like, so in the U S at least like even the laws around the way things have to be done. Right. Um, I think it's broken. I think it's broken because when you look at it, 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 it's us as agents who are out on the ground floor or on the battlefield, like, like doing deals, right? Uh, it's us on the uh, front lines of really actually recruiting like this, like recruiting to me is not a bad word, like neither is sales, right? They're the same thing to me. Um, and it's all about giving and caring. But so when you look at it, what you have is you've got um, people on the front line who are doing things and like who, you know, we're going out, we're making all these sales, we're talking to other agents and then people come and like, they want to be around us. Right. So like maybe other agents go, I want to know what you have. I want to learn from you and and what you, what you do and um, what happens, who benefits from that? The, the singular brokerage owner, maybe the investors who own the brokerage, the franchisor, the franchisee, the regional person, like it all benefits uh, either one person or like a small group of people. And it, dude, we're just the ones on the front lines. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like the only reason the brokerage world is set up the way it's set up is because of laws, because of the way the legalities of this industry works. And I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong. It's definitely antiquated, but I'm not saying it's wrong. Um, that said, like, I think what's happening is most agents now realize like, well, not, I don't want to say most, a lot of agents are starting to realize like they actually have the power, right? This is, all right, you're a football guy. I'm a football guy. Uh, I don't know if you're an NBA guy or not. I am. Uh, to me, it's the power sway too far to the players there. But like, this is a, 
the players have realized that they have way more power than they thought they have. They are responsible for more of the income generation, the revenue than they thought that they were. And things are changing because we've got kind of like I moved and I'm not afraid to say I moved to EXP Realty, not because I'm in love with EXP Realty, although it's amazing. It's the best business decision I've ever made in my life, but because it respects the future of agents more than any other company. In my belief, there was another company that did so more. I would go right. I would be there. But I think that as, as the players in this scenario, right. Hold on a second. You you said something, you said something important there and I I want you, I'm just going to back you up for just a second. You said that, so that brokerage specifically respects the future. The, they, ref, they, they respect agents' futures. Like they care about my, re, so, my retirement. So, yeah. So, okay. So explain that I, I, without getting into like the, the massive detail, but what, what's the mindset there? Like they respect the future, a real estate agent's future. What does that mean? Okay. Uh, I, what I mean by that is like as a real estate agent, Again, so go back to the, you asked me a question like teams versus solo agents. As right. a solo agent, you don't get paid again unless you go to another appointment and sell another house, right? That's the nature of our business. Okay, but if you own the brokerage, you don't sell any houses, you, you can still make money, right? You, you don't necessarily have to get up and go to the office the next day to still be able to make money. And so one's a job and one's a business. I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, but one is a job and one is a business, right? So when I say the future, what I mean is the ability to create income outside of just your activities today, right? The ability to create act income from investing time, right? Like, or in investing some of your money, like you wouldn't say a stock. Like I believe instead of, so in the US, there's uh, three of the largest brokerages owned by Gary Keller, billionaire. Warren Buffett, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. He's sort of rich. Yeah. Um, he owns Berkshire Hathaway, right? And then yeah. Dave Linegar with Remax. Yeah. Listen, the three of those guys deserve everything that they've earned. They have earned a ton. And I'm just, again, going back to one of the things I said, I'm just a big believer in like a rising tide should rise all ships, not just Warren's and not just Dave's and not just Gary's. It's like when the NFL makes more money, the players make more money. When the NBA makes more money, the players make more money. When Major League Baseball makes more money, the players make more money. I'm just a big believer and there has to be equity there, right? It's Mm. not to say that those people didn't forge, uh, you know, their way. Like Keller Williams was radically different. Remax was radically different at one point. They changed the industry in a lot of ways, right? Right. And, and they've been handsomely rewarded for that for a really long time. And there's nothing wrong with their reward. There really isn't. And as a, as a player on the field, I realize that I control more of that than what I used to think I did. And so all I want to do is to be able to put my family's future and the future of the families of the agents I'm in business with first above somebody else, above Warren Buffett's, above Gary Keller's, above Dave Linegar's. And so I think right. that we've taken the power back or we've begun to as real as, as real estate agents, as salespeople on the ground floor, we've realized that we actually have more control and power than we thought we had. Man, that's, uh, that's really interesting. It really is. And I, and I hope that, I hope that a lot of agents actually that are, that are listening to this, I hope that they're really listening to that statement, right? It's like, um, 
so let's go back to sports analogy again, right? So collective bargaining, bargaining agreement, um, you know, with the NHL or, or the, you know, the NFL or whatever it is, you know, they, they sign these things every three or four years or whatever the, the time frame is, right? What if, you know, those numbers never changed? What if the percentages never changed? Yeah. What if they signed a CBA, you know, 15 years ago and the owners continue to make more and more and more, their numbers continue to swell and swell and swell, you know, and, and they weren't sharing in what they were earning and you know like to your point i i don't think for one second that they have to right they own the company they started the fucking company i mean whatever dude they're the ones they write a check every month right they keep the lights on but so do i exactly and so do i and all i'm saying is i want to be paid in proportion to my risk and into my effort like when i have risk and effort i want to be paid in proportion to that and I, i man like, again, I, I respect, I actually probably side more on the owners than I do with the players at this point for all professional sports. I, I'm a, like a student of, of sports business. I really, really dig it at a high level. And um, dude, I just, I don't know, man. I just, it's not, it's okay. If it's that way, I just don't want to be part of that business. Like, you know, there's some, there's some restaurants you don't go to because maybe you don't like the food that they serve or the, the, the ownership or whatever. Right. Maybe right. you don't like seafood. I don't like seafood. So I don't go to seafood restaurants. It's not that I have anything wrong with, I don't think seafoods or restaurants are bad. I don't think that you shouldn't be allowed to go to a seafood restaurant. I just don't want to eat seafood or smell it. So I'm not going to fucking go. And it's the same thing. I like, I'm not going to go give all my money to Keller Williams or to Remax or to the local independent brokerage down the road. Nothing wrong with that. Again, I understand where my value and my power is as a real estate agent. And I understand what I bring. No, no, not one of my clients, not one. And dude, we'll sell 300 houses this year. I say that not bragging. It's we've probably averaged 300 plus for the last almost decade now. If you average out our sales, mm-hmm. you look at that. Not one client has ever said, you know, if you if you were if you were still with Keller Williams Realty, I'd probably let you list my house. But since you're not, or not one person right. said, you know, if you move to Sotheby's, we'll list with you. Right. And some of that happens. I just don't give a shit about those people. Yeah. It's yeah. It, I think too. I think people. I think agents put too much stock in the brand that they're associated with, and uh, you know, vice versa. I think the owners of those brands put too much stock in, you know, what the brand actually brings to the table. Right? Cool. They want to sell this idea that if if you're sitting down across from somebody. Um, you know, at the listing, at the, at the kitchen table, getting a listing, wanting to get a listing agreement signed that they're going to sign with the brokerage and not with you. Technically that's true, but I'm the guy that's at the fucking table, right? They're going to sign with me, not the brand, right? Not because of who I'm associated with. They either get along with me or they don't. If I was a douchebag and I was with the best brokerage ever, they wouldn't go with me because I was a douchebag, right? hundred percent, hundred, hundred percent. 100%. All right. Well, let's leave it there. I got somebody coming to fix my washing machine anyway. So I got to let you guys go. Kevin, as always, man, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time today, brother. Right on, man. I appreciate it too. Uh, Kelly, Robin, I look forward to, uh, we're going to flip the script soon. Uh, I want to say, Kelly, we have you scheduled already. Robin, we got to get you on the schedule too. And uh, let me put you guys in the hot seat and uh, looking forward to chatting again, fellas. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to that. Robin, thank you very much. I know we didn't get you in there a whole lot this time, but dude, yeah, asked some uh, pretty poignant questions and and uh, got your two cents in. So let's continue this path. I, I, I'm really liking it. 
Absolutely. It's all good. Really enjoy being here and always enjoy hearing, uh, hearing Kevin's uh, stories from the state. So it's great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the Real Conversations podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and you've made it to an hour and uh, 10 minutes, that's great. Please leave a question down below. Leave us a review. If you're listening to this onto, on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, please feel free to leave us a review, a, a review there. God, I can't talk today. I'm just so excited to get my washing machine fixed. Anyways, we're going to leave it there for today, boys. And uh, hope you guys all have a great week. And hopefully you guys got something out of this. Have a great day.